all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Good morning. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. We're going to be taking your calls during this hour concerning any type of health care issues or other topics that are related to your health or someone else's health that is near and dear to you. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you're not able to call this morning, you can always send us an email. We do try to... Re- Uh, review those and respond to them as quickly as we can, and then to also try to share those with a larger audience if you give us us permission to do that. The email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. Got a caller, early caller. That's great. I love to hear those early callers. We have a little bit more time to get to calls in the first part of the hour, so I encourage you to go ahead and, and call the number now to uh, to get in touch with us. We try to uh, we have to sometimes uh, rush things towards the end. I always hate to do that because all of our calls are so good. But we're going to go to Harry, who has been patiently waiting from Vidalia, Louisiana. Good morning, Harry. Oh, are you there, Harry? Well, we may have lost Harry. We'll try to get him back on the line. Uh, Harry, if you uh, if you had to hang up, just uh, just give us a call back. Uh, lots of things in the news there. Um, certainly, COVID is certainly at the at the top of the list of things that people are concerned about right now with our Omicron variant being the dominant one both in the state and the nation. Uh, the vast majority of cases and uh, people ask. How do they know that? Well, there's a lot of uh, surveillance that goes on with that. So they not every time that there's a test, they don't test for every one of those. And people have said, well, why don't we do that? Well, it takes about two weeks to do that. So from a population standpoint, um, that makes sense to try to figure out which variants we're dealing with because they're pretty different in how they act and how you can treat them. Um, but um, but it's not uh, really feasible to do that for each and every person because by the time you get those results back, the illness has sort of run its course. And uh, so sometimes we have to make decisions based on the bigger population, not too different from a lot of other infectious diseases that come through endemically. I think we've got Harry back on the line from Vidalia. Good morning, Harry. Can you hear me now? Yes, sir, we can. Okay, my wife is just diagnosed with multiple compression fractures of her spine. It was confirmed by a CT scan, and she is in absolutely tremendous pain. And uh, her local doctor here thinks she needs to go to a neurosurgeon. I'd like your opinion, and if you have a, a surgeon in Jackson, yeah, I am so sorry to hear that. Uh, compression fractures can be a 
challenging thing to treat. Um, I have a few patients that have had that for various reasons. You know, our spine takes a lot of weight on it day to day, and for for various reasons, the most common one being osteoporosis or loss of bone mass in those vertebral bodies in the in the spine. What happens is they have uh, they get compressed, so they actually lose height and. In severe cases, you may have know people in your family or friends that have had this happen to them, um, or can, there can be a curvature. And the problem with that is it begins to, not only is it painful in the vertebral bodies themselves, a lot of times it can push on nerves in the adjacent areas and cause a lot of inflammation. That's so the, now, a couple right? of things you can do, if she hasn't already had this, I, I bet she has if it's been picked up by CT scan. Um, to really look at a couple of different things, vitamin D and uh, calcium, uh, kidney function. There's some other lab tests that need to be done. And really, she needs a, even though she's had compre- compression fractures, she needs a bone density test to uh, confirm that she's got bone loss in other places. And then um, there are several different medications to take that can prevent further bone loss and things that she would need to take, like adequate calcium and vitamin D intake as well, depending on what those levels are. Um, some of the medications are, are the bisphosphonates, uh, so things like Fosamax you can take by mouth. There are, um, there are uh, a couple of different IV medications that you only have to take once a year where you go in to get an infusion, and that really helps to prevent ongoing bone loss. And to deal with a lot of the pain and stability, um, uh, you're spot on, either a neurosurgeon or a, an orthopedic surgeon who is versed in uh, back problems is the best pl- person to go to. And one that really um, that advertises that they're back specialist. And there's multiple ones. I'm not going to just pick out one just because there's lots of good ones that, um, that are out there. Uh, but they can do some things to uh, help stabilize the spine. Uh, braces do work. You have to wear them uh, a lot. The more you wear it, the better it is. But there's, they're a lot more comfortable than they used to. And it can take a lot of the pressure off of those vertebral bodies, particularly um, while you're doing some other things to try to stabilize against further bone loss. And there's all kinds of different things that a pain uh, management team can do to try to alleviate that. Uh, That's not always oral medications. Uh, that can be uh, injections in and around the site. And then sometimes surgery uh, can help, not always, depending on the, the types of compression fractures and the degree to which they've, they've compressed down. Uh, but sometimes they can do things, sort of novel things, like uh, some people say, well, can't they put some cement in there type of things like that? And it's not a true cement like you would pour on a uh, foundation slab for a house. This is like a specially designed substance that they can inject in there that sort of expands out that vertebral space or at least prevents it from uh, compressing. There are some complications with that. There's Not, not everybody, again, is going to be a, a candidate for that. But the first thing I would, I would say is make sure that they're uh, checking uh, vitamin D levels, calcium levels, kidney function, and making sure there's not another process going on that's causing that bone loss. Try to halt that bone loss that's going on with different medications and taking uh, adequate calcium and vitamin D 
and then also to, to see that back surgeon or, or a spinal surgeon. But I think that's, you know, just because you see a spinal surgeon or a back surgeon doesn't mean you're going to go to surgery. There's a lot of things that they do, and they do it in a team fashion these days. So it's going to involve physical therapists, maybe occupational therapists, um, a pain management team, uh, an orthotics team that fits different um, uh, devices in the right kind of way. So that's who I would go to. Any of the uh, the sort of uh, back uh, clinics, um, they have people that are, are trained in those areas, and that's pretty what pretty much what they do day in and day out. So that'd be my advice to you, Harry. And again, sorry that she's having to go through that. It can be uh, pretty debilitating, but there I've seen some really good results over time with a um, uh, multi-specialty sort of way of, of treating it. Where, and where would she go to, to find that? So if you're in the Jackson area, there's a number of ones. I would I, honestly, I would go with whoever your her doctor is is suggesting probably, and uh, you can always go for a second opinion. You know, if if there's if they just say, hey, if we think surgery is the way to go, um, but there are several she, back she, she specialty really clinics. Uh, you know, New South New South Neurospine is one. Uh, there are several others in the Jackson area. There's several others regionally throughout the state. The most important thing is making sure you pick one, not just an orthopedic surgeon, not just a neurosurgeon, but somebody who's really well-versed in doing these, um, uh, uh, concentrating on the back. And where would she go to find that person? Well, I would, I would, most of them are going to, to require a referral from her doctor. So that would be the first, her primary doctor. That would be the first thing I would do is call her doctor's office and say, yes, We'd like to see a neurosurgeon that's uh, experienced with back problems like this. Okay. I certainly appreciate your, your time and, and your program. You do a great service, and you'll be, you'll be commended for us, and we thank you. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls about any kind of healthcare issues you might have. Maybe it's new medication, new diagnosis that you'd like to get some more information on. We are here to give you that this morning. You can call us right now by dialing 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.com. Org. We've got Shirley on the line from Vicksburg. Good morning, Shirley. Good morning. What's your question this morning? 
Um, I have a question about prolia for osteoporosis. I have been diagnosed with osteoporosis, um, well, actually since '09. I took Fosamax, oh, I guess way past the five-year limit that they say now, and I went off of it, and I haven't gone back on anything, and my doctor wants me to consider prolia, which has lots of side effects. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that's it. that's correct. So there are several dif- several different things that you can treat it uh, osteoporosis with, and you do need to sort of see what that progression is, as you mentioned. For those who, who haven't um, dealt with it, you know, it's not just a one time treatment. You need to assess that treatment and how well well it works. Um, so prolia is a different type of agent that um it, it and I, I should say all of these, whether that's a bisphosphonate or something like prolia, um, all of those depend upon adequate vitamin D and calcium um intake. So that's why I mentioned with an earlier caller, you know, you really want to do those first because if you have low levels of calcium and vitamin D, it's not really going to help anything. That's sort of the brick and mortar um, that uh, that you use to build up the bones with. So it's important to do that and to make sure that you have adequate kidney function just because the, some of these medications depend upon that uh, and can be a little bit dangerous. Now, you know, Prolia has been used for, um, for a number of things uh, in addition to uh, osteoporosis. And you're right, all of these have, uh, you know, a lot of, of listed side effects. Um, fractures sometimes can be one of those. It sounds sort of um, sort of counterintuitive that you might have that, but um, there have been some patients receiving uh, prolia that have had a femur fracture, so you have to assess for that, or vertebral uh, fractures. The bisphosphonates like Fosamax, you can only take them for so long, and you really don't get much, you know, uh, much improvement after that. So, if that's the sort of the next step, I think where you're at right now, you got to sort of weigh what the side effects are, might be versus um, versus what kind of you know what kind of benefits you're going to get. I would be very blunt with your physician about that. I know a lot of patients they don't like to bring up these questions because they feel like it's you know that they'd be that they would hurt their physician's feelings or maybe they would uh they're asking too many or something but um but I appreciate that I think most physicians do and uh numbers may not mean a whole lot to you but one kind of question you can ask is if I take this medication what are my chances of getting better and what does that look like um in 5 years or 10 years if it's if it's successful and then if it's not successful what does that look like that may give you more information to be able to make that determination i know you know patients want and physicians sometimes we want really quick answers it'd be nice if we had one thing that definitely works 100% of the time with no side effects and that's just not that's not true of anything really i mean even uh, you know, even even some simple things that aren't medications, exercise carries some side effect with it. Uh, even eating certain things, some people are going to have maybe allergies to certain foods. So, um, but I would I would ask those hard questions. Ask around if you could, you know, maybe you could talk to some other patients that have had some similar have have uh, similar osteoporosis and maybe took this. Um, 
if you have other things that like for instance if you have heart failure prolia may not be the best thing for you you know there may be some other other med- medical conditions too that you want to be a little bit careful about but get all the information first sort of weigh things risk versus benefit and then you can make your decision i notice that um it seems to affect or it could affect the immune system and with a lot of the side effects. And I wondered, especially right now, with the COVID, if that would be a strong indicator to not take it. And also the fact that if you take it and you can't handle the side effects, you have no choice but to do something else. You can't just stop. Right. Yeah, it's it's in there. It has a very long half-life, so it's and that's one of the benefits of it. You don't have to take it multiple times, but it's also, you're right, one of those um, you know, one of those things to to sort of look at. You know, some of these side effects, they compared them against treatment with something like Fosamax, for instance, like the immune adverse reactions. And you also have to say, well, if it's 1%, is that worth the risk? Honestly, I think for the general population and where we are with COVID right now, it's not much of a um, it's not much of a risk from an immune system standpoint. In other words, it wouldn't put you at any increased risk of getting COVID than somebody who wasn't taking Prolia. Some of these other side effects, I think, are more you know you should look into a little bit more. Um, but ask all those questions and. You know, the other thing is it's not something usually that you would have to make a decision on like right now. You should have some time, whether weeks or maybe even months, that you could delay this and then take it. So there's not well, like a – you're not going to be under the gun to, to take it, um, you know, right now. So you do have some time to, to think yeah. about that. So. Okay. Well, I appreciate your input and thoughts on this. Thank you very much. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. The number to call if you have a question about anything related to care is one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Hodge from Summit. Good morning, Hodge. Hi, this is Todd. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry, <laughs> Todd. Okay, go ahead. Yes, um, I would like to uh, to comment on the caller that had called earlier about his wife with the back issues. Mm-hmm. Um, earlier back, uh, six months ago, I had a C4 through C7 fusion, um, in my neck and the person that I went to was, uh, it was Dr. Cullum right there Mm -hmm. by River Oaks hospital there in Mm -hmm. Jackson and, uh, in Flowood. And I have to tell you, it, it completely changed my life. Um, I have some, still have nerve damage, um, that, and shaking in my left side, um, that I will probably have for the rest of my life. But, um, it, it was an amazing, um, surgery when, when he got through, I, I knew almost immediately when I woke up, um, things were going to be different for me. Um, and I would like to recommend him. Um, I know you had mentioned uh, uh, new South Neurospine, I believe. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, which is over in that area as well. Um, 
But Dr. Cullum, he was he was really good for me. <laughs> I have yeah, to admit, a, he he, he has the a, he has the touch. <laughs> yeah, and that's an important point is to talk to some other people who've used you know a, a couple other surgeons. That's a big deal to me. I mean, you know, surgeons sort of get a bad rap of being all about the surgery and not very personable. Uh, I know a ton of surgeons that are uh, that are very personable and they're great with their patients. You know, you really want you got to be able to trust your surgeon, your any physician, but especially your surgeon who's going to operate on you, and um, and that that really can make a difference in the outcome of surgery. And I'm glad you have a great experience. The upper spine is a little bit easier, so like C4 through C7, so that's up in the in the neck portion of the spine, and um, you know that's that's an area that can be a little bit easier depending on what's going on with it than the lower spine. So it does matter like the the level, but yeah, I I agree with you totally. Get you a good surgeon if you're not, you know, even even if you stick with that first surgeon you get go to, a second opinion is fine and nobody, no physician should be afraid of a second opinion. I tell people all the time, "Hey, if you want to go talk to somebody else and you feel more comfortable with them, by all means do that because that's your health that you're talking about and you do need to to find you somebody that you can trust and that has good outcomes. Asking a surgeon about outcomes, also something I would do. Like to say, hey, what, what are your patients, you know, what's your success rate with this, that patients that have the same thing that I do? Uh, those are all great discussions. And talking to other patients about that is probably one of the best things that you can do just to see what the outcome is. You may have a little bit well, different problem than they did, but you know that's always a good thing to ask. Well, the question that I asked when I I had gone to a neurologist first, and and of course I did get a a second opinion, but I asked my neurologist uh, just point blank, if you were to have this done, who would you go to? Yep. And that's that was the recommendation, and I had seen another individual, and that. I didn't feel comfortable with him, so I went to uh, Dr. Cullum, and I I have to tell you, um, the results that I've had has just been amazing. My pain level is just gone. I don't have headaches anymore. Just a lot of different things good happened from this one surgery. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Um, no, I think that is an excellent question to ask your physician about anything is, hey, if this were, if you were sitting here as the patient and, and you were dealing with this, who would you suggest that I go to? Uh, or if it was your family member, that's another way to think about that. So, um, Todd, right. thank you for that. I appreciate that. That's always great to hear and share with other people who are going through similar things. Yes, thank you. Let's go to, um, I believe, Alan. Alan from Raymond. Good morning, Alan. Uh, good morning. Oh, I got a famous name. Um, uh, I have so many things, but um, what's been very painful, I could think I cracks around the nails or the fingertips. Yeah. And whenever it gets on the cool, cooler side, it tends to pop up more often. What is it? It's probably something simple, soaking them or something. I I haven't. <laughs> yeah, it's year a number. Year. <laughs> it, yeah, it's a number of things that might be going on. Um, so you know, your nails grow 
from the the nail bed. The nail bed is the the part that's closer to your body. So they have to grow out at about a millimeter a day is about the average, a millimeter or two a day. So it's not very very fast. But that where the the light the light part of that, the lacuna as it's called. So just anterior to that, just just proximal to that to your body, that's where all that is made. And there's a uh, what's called the the matrix that that lays down that. And it's really it's a similar substance to hair. It's very uh, you know obviously very uh, designed in normally to be very strong and very tough material. Uh, but then that grows out. So what happens is if if whatever happens when it's first made, because uh, a lot of people will say, well, my nails are cracked. Something must have happened right, oh, no, right oh, now. No, no, the fingertip in the skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, the and, very, very edge. Yeah, so is it more in the fingertips or the nail itself? It's the skin. It's the skin. It's not the nail. Ah, it's, okay, it's okay. So, okay, that changes a little bit. A couple of different things there. Um, fungal infections sometimes can do that. So particularly in colder environments, uh, changes in circulation can do it. So there are some people that have some uh, some constriction of the blood vessels when it's colder, even in Mississippi, if uh, just some mild uh, changes in that. There's a condition called Raynaud's uh, that can do that. There are certain um, certain other immunologic disorders that can do it too. Um, it really you have to see it. So I know radio is not the greatest greatest medium to to try to tease this out. But I would, if you haven't gone to a dermatologist or an internal medicine doctor, while it's going on, if you can capture it and maybe even take a picture of it, either with your phone or some other means, and show them what it looks like when that's happening, uh, or have them look at it directly. If it's a fungal infection, fairly easy to treat. Mm. If it's something that's more uh, a spasm of those blood vessels, or if it's an immunologic condition, that takes a little bit more teasing out with maybe some lab tests uh, to go along with, with looking at it. But it could be about 10 to 15 different things, Alan, and it's uh, it's sometimes a little bit hard to to, to tease that out. But I, I'm going to bet if it's in colder if it tends to be when it's in colder and uh, weather, yeah, the skin cracks, it, the skin. Yep. Very yep. sensitive there. Yeah, and allergic reactions can sometimes do that uh, too. Some people have. I don't know. It only happens in the cooler weather. Yeah, yeah. I would. It's, I would it could be one or two fingers on both hands. Yeah, that can that can all be one of those um, things I talked way about. Way past the nail. I mean, it's like. <laughs> yeah. Good. Very sensitive. It, while it's happening. But soaking, it seems to help a little bit. What does? So I don't know if that helps. What's that? I like to have it stop altogether, but, you know, putting in warm water, it seems to heal it up uh, a little bit. Yeah. I would bet you probably have something like Raynaud's, uh, which is that spasm of the blood vessels, or it's one of the immunologic conditions that's decreasing blood flow to those. So there are some other things that can treat that if that's what it is. There are certain uh, blood pressure medications that can sometimes, in low doses, treat that. But um, if particularly if it gets better in warm water, that's probably one of those spasms of the blood vessels at the tips of the fingers. Yeah, it seems to help it to, I don't know, soft, soft skin, I think, heals better than rough. 
Well, I think right. it's it's more the temperature. I don't know that it's the softness of it. I, it sounds to me like it may be a spasm of those. So I'd get somebody to look at it and then see if they can. They may even like may want to run some tests to to see if there's some other things going on. But um, there may be a couple of other things that they can suggest that might improve it even more than that warm water. Oh, okay. I, I'm just wondering. It's just it only happens when there's a drop in temperature. I, I, yep. That's so it pretty, could be one, two fingers. It yeah, could be on that's, both hands. That's really common with Raynaud's, and it's, it is it doesn't have to be the whole hand. It can just be a couple of fingers. And particularly, you know, there can be a color change with it, too. A lot of times it can be mm, sort well, of whitish in color. Not with mine. No, it's just very sensitive. It's just, I mean, it's, a, it's like a quarter of an inch now. Yeah. Well, I keep using my hands, so I'm not giving you the chance to heal or whatever. Right, right. <laughs> yeah, I, have them have somebody actually look at that, and I think they're probably going to be able to help you with the medication that can that can prevent it uh, from happening, particularly during cold weather. Okay, okay. Probably, uh, probably happen happen when I was dealing with mail. I'm always handing so many letters, <laughs> paper cuts. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly, you know, when you're using them like that, you'll notice it more. Because it was never like that before. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for calling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning answering your calls and questions about any kind of health care issue that you might have. We would love to hear from you this morning. Plenty of time in the hour to call in. You can reach us right now at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. If you uh, catch a program uh, sort of in the middle and maybe you wanted to listen to uh, what somebody said before you tuned in, you can go back and uh, listen to those on our website, mpbonline.org. Just search for Southern Remedy and you can uh, pull up our archive programs. Or if you would like to uh, subscribe uh, to the uh, podcast, uh, you can actually search for that, Southern Remedy, on MPB uh, Think Radio and uh, listen to that at your leisure. We're going to go to Ruth from Long Beach. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. All right. Hey, Ruth, how are you? All right. I don't think we have a very good uh, connection, though. It is a little, yeah, I can hear you okay. So um, right now it is a little weak, but I can hear you. 
Okay. Shall I talk? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Well, uh, the other day I took a fall, bad fall, and I uh, broke my nose and also oh, no. skinned my elbow very badly. But all I was, I was taken to a Garden Park Hospital, and everybody was very nice, and I was cleaned up and so on and so forth and sent home with instructions. Now, since that time, I have had occasion, I had to go back because the bandage wasn't very good on my elbow. But um, I'm wondering about, I, I've had a, all of a sudden I woke up today and I had a terrible pain in my left shoulder. Now, how can you identify a heart attack as being, as opposed to just a reaction from the general fall? Yeah, there are certain things that go along with that. Sometimes it can be um, a little bit similar, so you don't want to totally, uh, you know, dis dismiss some of those pains. It, it, you know, if you fall and then you have a pain where that is, even if it's later, I, I suspect, you know, if it's on the same arm that you're, you hurt your elbow, it may be the way you're holding your elbow that's maybe aggravating something in your shoulder, or it's something that's just now coming up after the fall. Um, so that tends to be more sharp-type pains uh, or positional pains, like if you can move your arm certain directions uh, or uh, your shoulder certain ways if it hurts more. Uh, if that's the case, it's less likely to be your heart. It's more likely to be uh, something that's going on in your arm. Typical heart pain or angina is uh, described as a uh, pressure on your chest uh, right over your heart. A lot of people will say it feels like an elephant sitting on my chest. And it can be accompanied with shortness of breath. Uh, and the pain itself or the discomfort itself can sometimes either travel from your chest down your left arm or sometimes in the, in the, up to the neck or the left side of your neck. Now, not everybody presents that way, though. That's sort of the textbook presentation. It tends to be um, made worse or exacerbated by activity. So if you're walking around and it gets worse, that would be you know, something that would more, be more heart-related. And then if it gets better when you rest, that, that might also be a sign that it's heart-related. But some people have some different presentations of it. Some people have really strange symptoms. They'll say, you know, I really think this is just heartburn, but it turns out to be their heart. But if you have pain in that shoulder and you can move the shoulder around, you can make the pain worse, um, I think that's probably shoulder pain and not, not from your heart. Okay, that that makes sense. I was just wondering because I don't, I don't want to be calling nine one one two times in a row. If you know <laughs> right. what I mean, but they'll know exactly know, where to find to you. On the safe side, that's all. <laughs> all right, Ruth. Well, I hope you have a, a very quick recovery on that. I know it can't be. Uh, you know, particularly as we get older, it can be a little bit longer. And uh, shoulder pain and arm pain can sometimes be a nuisance just because it interferes with our sleep and certain other things. But um, but it, if you're in doubt of any kind of pain like that, it's not a you know not a bad idea to get checked out. Um, don't necessarily have to call 911, but um, you know just sort of depends on what type of pain and how long it's been there. But you may want to call your your physician's office to get some direction on that. 
All right. This is Southern Remedy. Uh, the number to call if you have a question is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. We're going to go to Robbie, who is calling, I believe, from Peru. Is that correct, Robbie? That is correct. And wow. the volume just went down I, on me. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you loud and clear. Okay. November of 2020, I moved to Cusco for work and hopefully eventually retire. Because of the work, I was able to get a residence card, which made me eligible to receive the Pfizer shots. In June of 2021, I received the first shot. No, uh, the 22nd, I received the second shot. In August, I wound up with 105.7 fever. A doctor in an ambulance came and picked me up. I had double pneumonia. They did a CT, and he asked me if six weeks, eight weeks prior, had I been sick. And I said, yeah, I had a little bit of a sinus infection. And he said, no, that wasn't a sinus infection. That was COVID. In November of last year, I went back to the States for a visit and to pick up some things that I couldn't find here and got the Johnson and Johnson shot. I thought mixing was good from what I read on November 4th of 21. Mm -hmm. I am now eligible for the Pfizer booster. Is that pushing the envelope? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I don't think I don't think it's pushing it. Um, you know, there was a lot of, in fact, there were a couple of trials internationally on using different types of vaccines, um, both with, you know, there were some that looked at, okay, can we use more than one messenger RNA-related virus uh, a vaccine, or can we mix that with Johnson Johnson, which is more of an antigen-type uh, vaccine? And some of those proved pretty good, actually, against the earlier variants. The the trickier part of this is, um, you know, as as viruses change, particularly coronaviruses, um, they're sort of like adenoviruses, enteroviruses, and flu. They they can mutate a lot, and sometimes you can lose that effectiveness. So particularly with Delta and Omicron, it appears that you can still have the most protection from the RNA viruses. So even though you've gotten the Johnson Johnson, I would probably you know do either the Pfizer or Moderna um, at this point to give you a little bit more protection. Particularly particularly what we know about Omicron. If if you got two doses of the RNA viruses, then that protected you just a little bit. But really, the third dose does, and I think the timing of it for you too makes sense. Um, you know, with having okay. uh, you, because those antibody levels do go down over time. Um, would you have some protection from Johnson Johnson? Probably. We just don't have a lot of people that have had that same sequence to draw from to to give you know the ex, an exact data. Uh, driven answer for that. Um, just don't have a lot of people, but I probably would just because we do have data to support that. Okay, that's what I had read, and that's why I wanted to mix the Johnson with the Pfizer. The right. only option I have here is the Pfizer for over 50 years old. I do have one other question. I sure. brought the original films from the pneumonia to my doctor in the States when I went back to visit. 
Mm-hmm. And she wouldn't even look at them because she said there's no way to determine whether or not you had COVID based on x-rays. What are your thoughts on that? That's true. Uh, you can get a certain type of picture. In other words, if you if you had a positive test that said you had, you had COVID and then you had those x-rays, you could probably say, okay, well, I'm 90 plus percent sure that the damage due to your lungs was due to a previous COVID infection. But there are other things that can cause that, and it's not, particularly once you get outside the window of acute infection, there can be, you know, damage that you can see months or sometimes even years, uh, in your, particularly in the lungs. The COVID causes a, um, all of the strains cause uh, a pretty bad in, infl- inflammatory response in the lungs, and for some people it can be pretty pretty extreme. It can also cause blood clots and not big ones, but usually small ones throughout the lungs. So there's a lot of complications that you can see. But again, it's not the only thing that can cause that. There are other infections in the lung that can do that. Bacterial infections could have done that. So I don't know that you could say with 100% certainty that you had it, um, but it's a possibility. It's a possibility. At this point, it really doesn't matter if you had it from COVID or you got it from something else because the treatment's sort of the same, which is if you're improving, that's just going to, you know, that, that that's sort of nothing more to do at this point. There's not a medication you can take or something that you can do to allow those to heal any uh, anymore besides to protect yourself against subsequent infection. Uh, so that's another reason why I would suggest getting getting vaccinated and, and to, for flu too because, we do know that in patients that have had damage to their lungs from COVID uh, or anything else, they're more at risk for uh, complications from influenza. So that would be something else I would consider. Well, while I was in the States, I did get the flu shot, and Good. I have had Good. the pneumonia shot. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that okay. you're all teed up. I, I would. I'm with you. I think I would. I would get that last dose of Pfizer while you're there, and um, and that should give you some protection. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Slowly we started, you know, picking these turtles up and saving them. I'll stop traffic, grab one out of the road. And then our friends found out and our vet would call us. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. We are now a full-fledged, nonprofit turtle rescue. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. Mile Marker, a Mississippi Roads podcast. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Got lots of good callers. We're going to go quickly because we don't have a whole lot of time left to Sue from Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Good morning. I want to ask you a question about um, how safe is our water supply from COVID because 
COVID is airborne, but also cause gastrointestinal complaints like diarrhea. How, how does that water could get in the water supply and contaminate the water supply? Nobody know about it. Yeah, they, they looked at that, and in, thankfully, it doesn't live very long in that. Whether it's chlorinated or not, it just doesn't. Um, that's not you know, the respiratory droplets and airborne are two of the biggest uh, contaminants of that. And although it does affect the GI tract, it's not going to be something that you can pick up that way. Now, you could pick it up if you eat after somebody who's had COVID or you drink after them, but that's more from, you know, what's on the the actual utensil or the cup or that kind of thing. But as far as, like, drinking water, as long as it's, you know, as long as it's from the tap or if it's from uh, that hasn't been in contact with somebody who's had COVID, I suppose if somebody sneezed on your glass and they had COVID and uh, and you're sneezed in your water and then you drank it, you could get it that way. But that would, you know, as far as like being uh, passed along in the water supply, I don't I don't think that's a viable thing for it. Thankfully. <laughs> okay, thank you. Yeah, let's go to Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning. What's your question this Can morning? You Good morning. Uh huh. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yes, ma'am. We can hear you loud and clear. Oh, okay. Well, what it is, I I have this pain. I wake up every morning and I have gas, severe gas. I mean, it hurt, hurt, hurt. It starts under my right, my right shoulder, and it comes out. It pains at my at right above my elbow, on my hand, on my arm, going up my right arm, and I've been trying to figure out how to. Get rid of it. I took that is. Uh, I took project. Uh, it's like I, I take a med a pill, but the sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. So I was trying to figure out: is that got anything to do with my heart, or is people, some people just get gas like this? And sometimes I get constipated with it. I'm just trying to figure out. What yeah, everybody can be a little different. Now, usually you can have referred pain from gas type yeah. pain to your arm. But I wouldn't just jump to that. I mean, there are lots of other things, particularly like the nerves that go from your neck to your arm could be somewhere, you know, that could be another place. I would get somebody to give you a good looking over and including a an exam of your arm and your neck. And um, there may be some other medications they want to do. There may be some other studies that they may want to do, particularly if it's related to your bowel movements like that. But it well, from what you're describing, it doesn't sound like your heart, but it, if it's been going on long enough, you may they may want to take a good looking over and just make sure it's not not any of those other things are more serious. Yeah, because I'm 71 and I'm scared to go to the hospital because they got COVID. Yeah, I wouldn't I go to the hospital. To... I'd I'd do this as a doctor's visit in the office. I wouldn't go to the hospital. Uh, okay, all right. So is anybody I can take across the counter? That would get rid of this? Well, you know, if you've been taking, like, uh, Prilosec and those kinds of things, it's not helping. Yeah. I don't think so. Nope. So I think I would probably just get somebody to look at it before I took anything else. <sighs> okay. All right. Thank you. All right. Let's go to Steve. Steve, we got about a minute and a half left. What you got going on this morning? I'll be, I'll be quick. Um, I've, I've got – I'm 73 years old. I've got emphysema. Um I have a hard time in the mornings when I wake up breathing, and I've got I'm, I'm on meds. I take a butyrol, and I've got a new nebulizer, and I also take Simbicort. Mm-hmm. And I've had a battery of heart tests about a year ago, and all my heart functions were good. I did not take a stress test, mm-hmm. but if I've noticed lately, if I do anything that's real strenuous, I get real short of breath. 
Yeah, I would. I, that's a good indicator that you might need your heart relooked at, and a stress test is going to look at it in a little bit different way than just a, a plain EKG or an echo. The other thing is sometimes you can have other changes in your lungs itself. So a pulmonary function test. I don't know if you you may have had that before, where you blow in a tube. I've had and that. Measures, yes, I yeah. have. So even if you had that before, if you've noticed a change. The two biggest causes of that is either a change in something going on with your lungs or if it, it could be your heart. And, um, you know, we mentioned like heart, typical heart type pains. Uh, you can have other types of symptoms. And sometimes mild heart failure can present that way too. So I would I would get your doctor to, to refer you for a stress test or maybe even like a stress echo. Thanks for listening to this MPB Think Radio podcast. MPB depends on support from listeners, so if you can, please contribute today at mpbonline.org. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.